Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 9 and verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I am glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 1 of chapter 9 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So for this study in this episode, we're only going to read those first three verses because in those three verses, it gives us the details by which we understand the rest of the chapter. So it's important that we understand these few little descriptions about the timetable and the setting for uh, Daniel's life and his ministry at this particular point in his book. Uh, this is, of course, chapter 9, and we know that that chapters uh, 7 and 8 and the visions included in those two chapters actually occurred prior to the change of empires between the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire. And we find that in chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. And then chapter 8, verse 1, it says, in the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king. So these two chapters and the visions in those chapters actually occurred prior to the takeover in Daniel chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. So there's a little bit of overlap of history, that is, in Daniel's experience between the two visions of chapters 7 and 8 and the takeover uh, in the last two verses of chapter uh, 5 and verses 30 and 31, where it says, the same night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. So that's the the historical context that we find here in chapter 9. So in many regards, chapter 7 and 8 actually occurs in Daniel's experience uh, long prior to the end of Belshazzar's reign and his uh, being conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire in the city of Babylon and uh, the handwriting on the wall and, and that whole experience. And so uh, this then in chapter 9 is after the, the uh, shift of empire authority from the Babylonians now to the Medo-Persians. And that's exactly where we find ourselves here with Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus, by the way, is... Um, is not the same as the uh, Xerxes who reigned during the time of Esther in Esther chapter 1, verse 1. That is not the same person. That one in Esther is, uh, 
uh, is a different one. <laughs> that is, uh, he is a Persian, but the one named here uh, is the Median uh, descent, and that's where Darius is. His father was uh, just happened to have the same name as the king that's named in the book of Esther. So it says then, who, who was made king over the kingdom of Chaldeans, which, as we've already discovered, uh, is already recorded in chapter 5 of verse 30 and 30. Of Daniel. But then we find in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that uh, this Darius began his reign by almost immediately putting Daniel in a prominent position in his administration. And this is such a very interesting idea that Daniel had so much gained uh, the respect of a Gentile pagan king that uh, uh, he was just transferred from the old kingdom's administration of Babylon into the Medo-Persian control of the whole area. And it says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 of Daniel, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. So Daniel was one of those three commissioners in uh, Darius's administration. And so uh, then later on at the uh, at the end of chapter 6 and verse 28, it says, so this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So whether or not those two reigns overlapped each other, uh, but uh, he is uh, recording the fact that his career, Daniel's career, lasted all the way until Cyrus the Persian. So this is quite a lapse of time, and that's exactly what has now motivated Daniel to go uh, to the Scriptures because of Jeremiah's prophecies about these 70 years concerning the city of Jerusalem and the disciplinary action that God took against his own people in the city of Jerusalem and in Judea and took them away in exile in Babylon. So if we're going to understand, though, the prophecies of Daniel, we need to go, uh, uh, and the prophecies of Jeremiah in this case, uh, we need to go back to the law of Moses. The law of Moses and the first five books of the uh, what we call the Old Testament, Testament, those, uh, uh, those books comprise what you might call the constitution, the divine constitution for God's people, the nation of Israel, and what it took to establish that nation and its laws. And that's exactly what we find. And in its laws, we have a lot of uh, uh, prescribed covenant uh, uh, statutes, you might say, that they were to fulfill. Well, we're familiar with some of them, especially ten of them, because of the Ten Commandments. But there, uh, there are there is so much more in the Law of Moses than just those ten. And uh, we find that uh, part of that is is honoring the Sabbath, of course. And that, in our minds and in our experience uh, or our understanding, involves Sabbath days. That means every seventh day was to be a day of rest for the people. And that was what was prescribed by the constitution given to the nation of Israel. But also something that is 
unfamiliar to us is a different part of the calendar, a more lengthy part of the calendar that requires seven years to be carried out, not just seven days, and that every seventh year is to be a Sabbath. And that is found in Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 11. It says this, you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year you shall let it, uh, that is, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. So the law of Moses, the national constitution that God had given by covenant to his people, even before they entered into the land, had prescribed this particular category of Sabbath years. That meant that every seventh year was to lay fallow uh, the land so that the land would have its Sabbath rest as well. And we find that uh, the nation of Israel evidently, for almost 500 years, failed to keep that Sabbath year. Now, it seems as though they were pretty faithful in keeping the Sabbath days in their, in their time in the land, but they failed somehow for 500 years of their history, or almost, they failed to keep that Sabbath year. We find in Deuteronomy verses uh, uh, 63 and 65 of chapter 28, of Deuteronomy, verses 63 and 65, it says this, it shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. Among these nations you shall find no rest, and there will be no resting place for you, the sole of your feet, uh, that is, uh, the sole of your foot, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So just as the covenant of the Lord prescribed a way of blessing. It also prescribed a way of discipline. God would be perfectly willing to discipline his people. Now, in those passages of that covenant, this is not about personal salvation or whether or not uh, individual people are born again. That's not the context of those passages. It has to do with God and his nation and the nation of people that comprise the Jewish people who inhabited the land of promise that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And although there may be some metaphors and maybe some spiritual applications, what we want to look at here is the fact that this is a national application that God prescribes for his own people about their conduct in the land and the land itself. And so it involves their own spiritual health, but it also involves the, the agricultural health of the land. God was committed to that. It was his land, and uh, he had given it to them. So if we're to understand Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 years, then uh, then this is becomes more complicated. Now, it becomes only complicated, not because it's hard to understand, but because these 
things are very, very unfamiliar to most of us who have come to faith in Christ and are what we might call today New Testament believers. We have studied parts of the Old Testament and parts of it uh, we are f- very familiar with, especially the stories and so, and the narratives. And uh, we've made uh, made that pretty clear in the book of Daniel. We're familiar with with uh, Daniel's uh, stories of, of various things throughout uh, his book. But some of these things they seem to be a little more cumbersome, and they seem to be uh, very much unfamiliar because they don't uh, make for the kinds of content that uh, gives a preacher a chance to preach. Uh, it seems to be more academic in nature. But uh, sometimes we need to go back. If we're to ever understand Ch- Daniel chapter 9, we've got to go back to Jeremiah and we've got to go back to the law of Moses. And that's the reason why we're doing this and reading some of these unfamiliar passages so that we can connect the 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 dots, so to speak, connect the dots between the covenant and the prophecy of Daniel, uh, that is the prophecy of Jeremiah, that uh, Daniel is now reading uh, at, the, uh, at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9. So we find in Leviticus chapter 26 that there is a certain kind of, of uh, of a multiplier that is placed upon God's disciplinary action against the nation of Israel. And we're going to uh, uh, read uh, one of those uh, statements in Leviticus 26, verse 18. It says, If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Again, in verse 21 of of, uh, chapter 26 of the book of Leviticus, it says again, If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. Well, there are a couple more verses we'd like to read from Leviticus, but we need to take a break, give you a break, Join me again on the other side of this musical interlude. Welcome back. And uh, uh, we kind of uh, broke off there in the middle of uh, several uh, small readings out of Leviticus chapter 26 because, you see, uh, the book of Deuteronomy gave us the law and even the prediction about the, from the covenant of the law that if they were to disobey God, either immorally or through idolatry or through the simple act of failing to keep uh, the land having its Sabbath years, then the nation itself would be um, disciplined. And uh, then we find in the uh, uh, book of Leviticus chapter 26, that uh, 
this discipline, if they if it did not work repentance in their heart as a nation, then this repent this uh, this discipline would be carried out uh, with a with a seven multiplier, and that's what we find again in Leviticus twenty six verses twenty seven through twenty eight. Says yet if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I even I will punish you seven times for your sins. So there is a sense in which if we connect the dots, God has already warned them that if you fail to keep my Sabbaths, then I will discipline you and uh, take you out of the land. And then in Leviticus, there's this general multiplier that if you do not repent from any of the discipline I give you, then uh, there's going to be this seven times that uh, will come into play. So Leviticus 26, then later in that chapter, verses 34 and 35, gives us the application specifically to the land and its Sabbaths. Uh, Let's read that. Verse 34 and 35, chapter 26 of the book of Leviticus, it says this, then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths all the days of the desolation while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation, it will observe the rest which it did not observe on your Sabbath while you were living in it. So Leviticus gives us the actual covenant breakdown of what's going to happen when these people disobey God's rules about living in his land that he gave to them. And so Jeremiah uh, then lays out how this going how this is going to play out for them once they have committed uh, this disobedience of failing to keep the land and its Sabbaths for over 500 years. And Jeremiah then comes along and tells them, this is what's in store for you guys. It says, uh, uh, for uh, it says, but like uh, this is, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 24, verses 8 through 10 is where we're going to be reading. Jeremiah 24, verses 8 through 10, it says this But like the bad figs which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, indeed, thus says the Lord, I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a terror and an evil for all the kingdoms of the earth as a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places where I scatter them. I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence upon them until they are destroyed from the land which I gave to them and their forefathers. So Jeremiah prophesied and he brought the truth of God, the covenant of God to apply to the very history of his own nation in these very practical terms that had already been laid out in the law of Moses. This should not have come as a surprise to them at that time uh, because of their disobedience. And so this was, uh, by the way, there were lots of various levels of disciplinary action, according to uh, the book of Deuteronomy as well as the book of uh, Leviticus. But uh, those levels of discipline occurred in various different stages and increments. And uh, this idea of being exiled, this idea of being pulled out of the land and taken to foreign countries uh, was uh, was not... Uh, 
It was not shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was the last resort that God uh, found to discipline his people about their obedience in his land he's given to them. So Jeremiah says again in chapter 25 of his book, verses 8 and 9, it says, And verse 11, too, as well, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, because I will, uh, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an every, uh, ever, and, excuse me, an everlasting desolation. Verse 11 of uh, Jeremiah 24 says this, this whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And that is what evidently Daniel is now reading. The 70 years prophecy being in Babylon that Jeremiah had given to God's people a whole generation before Daniel reads this. This is at least a, 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 at least a whole generation. It's, it's 70 years or almost since Jeremiah had prophesied it. And now Daniel himself, if he had taken track of the calendar, knew that he was only about three years away from the seven years occupation and exile in Babylon. He had been there the whole time. And so he knows that this 70-year period cycle of discipline is now just about coming to an end. He he sees this as a as an urgent motivation now to seek the Lord, and uh, that is what he what he does. But uh, we're not through yet with connecting the dots in Jeremiah twenty nine. He repeats himself again when God is serious about something, anything. He repeats this thing so that you don't forget it, so that you don't ignore it. These things are very important, especially to the Jewish people, and especially to the Jewish people like Daniel who were in Babylon at the time because they are now living out the fulfillment of exactly what Jeremiah had prophesied himself. Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, he says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. So, 
Jeremiah, in the midst of prophesying the 70 years captivity, the 70 years exile, it was more than just a captivity. They were drawn out of the nation of Israel and the and Judea and the land, and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the, the uh, temple as well as the city, and, and he took away all the implements of the temple. That destruction was a, was a dramatic thing in Israel's history, of course. And, uh, and uh, when he took the exiles away to Babylon, then, then Jeremiah in his same prophecies that said, you're going to live out a full period of 70 years in this foreign empire and its capital and spread through all of its, uh, its provinces as a people, but he gives us this promise, or he gives the Jewish people this promise that they are going to be regathered again. Babylon, oh, out of Babylon, they're going to come back to the land. It's interesting that right in the middle of this prophecy is this very familiar verse that some of us perhaps have even memorized because it's a great promise about, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Do you realize that that promise is in the context of Jeremiah's prophecy about the Jewish people being taken to Babylon? And Daniel is one of those people. And Daniel is now sitting on the threshold of seeing Jeremiah's completion of his 70 years as he lives it out right there. And, uh, by the way, we know that it was fulfilled. This is not a secret <laughs> that that uh, we need to look at uh, because we know in Second Chronicles a record of the history that did take place. By the way, uh, Jeremiah as a book uh, is located uh, far after the book of Second Chronicles in the publishing of our Bibles, but Jeremiah's prophecies took place uh, before uh, the history that was recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 20 through 21. So try not to be too confused about that, but Jeremiah's ministry took place way before the end of the book of Chronicles had been written, and it has recorded there in chapter 36, in verses 20 and 21, the actual history that Daniel hasn't seen played out yet. He is on the threshold, but he's not seen it uh, be completed yet. As uh, the author of Chronicles says this, those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. The kingdom of Persia. Daniel is now sitting in the kingdom of Persia, and he's been there 67, 68 years. And uh, and, and it says again in Second Chronicles, uh, verse 21 then of uh, chapter 36, it says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days of its desolations, it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. That, you see, is what brings Daniel to his knees, literally, in this prayer, in verse, thir verse 3 of chapter 9, so I gave attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel may not know what the rest of his people, the rest of the, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, uh, what they were doing scattered throughout the whole kingdom of Babylon and now the kingdom of Persia. Uh, he doesn't know what they're doing, but he's responsible for himself, and he's he. 
he sits himself down and he kneels and he humiliates himself with this these particular gestures to make sure that he himself is repentant and repentant for the nation's sins. Because, you see, he's motivated not only because he sees the 70 years coming to completion, but he also, I believe, knows the Leviticus multiplier of seven. Is there going to be seven times 70 years at the end of this 70 years? If we don't repent, then there may very well be an additional multiplier of 70 times seven. And that would be 490 years that God is still leaving in reserve as his discipline against his people. Is that going to come about or is it not? That is what motivates Daniel to his knees. And he begins the prayer that we find that starts in verse 4. And that is where we're going to take it up in our next episode. But Daniel wants to pray to his God and confess his sins to make sure these things are cleared up, the sins of his nation, so that God can restore his people back to his nation, back to his city, Jerusalem. And that motivates Daniel to pray. Thank you, dear Father for the words that we read today that connects your plan and your predictions for your people. I pray that we ourselves would humble ourselves before you to know your guidance, to know the times in which we live, whatever they are, and we trust in you that you will fulfill your promises to us just as you fulfilled your promises to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. Join us again for our next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>